Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Bank Talk Star Wars. I'm your host, Lee. I'm here. I'm joined by my co-host, Jamie. Jamie, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, and as promised, we have our third partner here in crime, Spencer, is back on the podcast to do a mid-season check-in on Season 3 of Mandalorian. Spencer, how are you? Uh, where am I exactly? We were having tea, and then I, you put, and then you gave me a cup, and I kind of fell asleep, and now I'm in a locked room. What's happening? That's kind of been the story of the last couple of weeks on the podcast channel. Spencer and I are doing, <laughs> at this point, we've done, this is our third episode this week. He's absolutely sick of me. He'll be over me midway through this, this podcast, but podcast professional that he is, absolutely cranking on because he's promised a mid-season check-in on Mandalorian. Jamie, of course, uh, and I are, are soldiering through every week. Jamie does have to drop off midway through the call, though, so uh, we only get him for the, the first bit, so I want to make sure to get all of his thoughts about the episode. This is Chapter 5, um, or 21, but it's Chapter 5 of the Season 3, called The Pirate. Jamie, I'm going to start with you first. What did you think of the episode? That was great. I think it was just very good. I, again, as almost always, wish it were longer. But it, weirdly enough, I thought it ended. And I was like, oh, that was nice, but too short. And then they gave us like another three minutes. I was like, okay, I feel better now. That actually kind of gave me a little more to chew on. So it was just good all through. Um, I have some thoughts, which is why I'm here. I think if I have a podcast where I have no thoughts, that's, that's going to be a rough podcast. I have, I've done this before. Support. I've done this before. <laughs> I, Absolutely. Look, I'm here for the vibes, man. Come on, you know me. Spencer made me do a support corgi. Spencer made me do a zombie show. I've definitely done podcasts where I didn't have thoughts. <laughs> I got you into that thing by the end. Yeah, I did kind of get into it. Okay, uh, I will say what I think, and then I'm going to spin it over to Spencer because Spencer also needs to let us know what he thinks of the season so far. So, for me, um, this episode felt, you know. I think the word filler episode has become so loaded and it means different things for different people. I'll tell you what it means for me. It doesn't mean it's a wasted episode. What it means is when I use that phrase, I'm, t- I'm using it to mean it is a episode that doesn't have the seminal moments they're building to, but is advancing the plot to get to those. And I think the, you know, the having Navarro be liberated is not. I would not call that like a seminal moment of the episode or of the season or of the series, but it is important because it gets the Mandalorians back on Navarro. It gets them in bed with grief Karga. It also gets, you know, advances Bo-Katan's plot a bit. So I would call it a filler episode, but I don't mean it's a wasted episode. I mean, it's just advancing the plot to get to the seminal moment. So I just don't, I like the episode. I don't think we're going to be at the end of the season going, man, remember, remember episode five, the pirate. I was really in on that one. But it is good. That's my thoughts on it. Spencer, episode and season so far, we haven't heard from you since episode one. I feel like episode one was the weakest episode of the season from what I've seen, and that things have generally improved from there. Uh, I feel I felt like each episode has gotten a little bit better than the last, of where second episode was still kind of so-so, still finding its feet. Third episode was kind of a surprise because they wrapped up what I assumed was going to be the season-long arc. Like, you know, okay, Dave from the Waters of Mandalore, he's back with his people. Done. That yep. caught me off guard. Um, but now, going into Episode 4 and Episode 5, I have a better feel of where the season's forward momentum is and what its purpose is. And let me disagree with you a little bit. I felt like this episode was really important in that regard to clarify what the overarching plot is, how this connects in, and where they're going to kind of go from here. I felt like we got enough little tidbits of that to really set that uh, uh, set that floor. As for the episode itself, I thought it was quite, I thought it was quite enjoyable. I, it felt... There were many aspects of it that felt quintessential Star Wars, and I thought they were generally well executed. So, I, yeah, I, 
my opinion of the season is only improving over time, and this continues that trend. Okay, that's good. So I'm going to jump into our recap because our segments here on Mangum Talk Star Wars, every week we start with me doing the recap. I will lead the recap. Jamie and Spencer will jump in. Give us their thoughts, witty anecdotes, quotes, things they thought interesting about the episode. We'll go to best line of the episode. Then we will go to nostalgic moment of the episode, which is exciting. I do want to put can – I, can I just, like, throw some cold water on this whole fucking podcast real quick and give you all a tidbit of information I learned on the Internet? Do it quick, because I'm, I'm, I'm hot this week, so, yeah, I'll steam that off, but do it quick. Okay. Well, I'm going to go real slow now. So, anyway, so the thing about <laughs> – the thing about it is, yeah, no, actually, I learned that the vast majority of these scenes, this is not Pedro Pascal in the, um, oh. in the outfit, that they are, they have a two body doubles who are doing uh, the physical acting for Pedro Pascal, and he actually does most of the sound in a sound booth. I'm and out. I'm out. Uh, so, my, 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 I was pretty disappointed. By oh, so, so I, I trusted 100% that the, his audio recording was in the sound booth. But I did assume yeah. that he was talking there in person, and they just, you know, voice synced it over to to better have quality audio. It's easy to lip sync when you're in a mask. But there's a tiny part of me that feels like that makes it more authentically Star Wars, just because of you know James Earl Jones not being in the suit. <laughs> but um, but I'm I'm so mad about that. Yeah, I didn't like it either. Apparently, he he did the all of it in season one, most of it in season two. Right? Apparently, season three coincided with well, it co- yeah, it coincided with the filming of Last of Us. So he he was not able to who, who be on. Who watches that show? I don't care about that. Yeah, who watches that? I mean, we only cover it every single episode of Mangum Talks. Uh, Mangum Talks. But I guess you know. I, yeah, I, I, it's not as I would. I'm confused. I would think that Mandalorian would be his would be the priority for him. I, I, it confuses me that he's prioritizing other things over Mandalorian. Lee, are you going to tell me Santa isn't real next? Because this is the level of deflating effect this has had upon me. I was really invested in the idea that he was, you know, we talked about that in Last of Us, of how good he'd gotten at non-facial acting from do, from doing that role all the time. Now now we're getting more and more that it isn't actually real? I'm let down. I am too. Okay, so we start no, with... No, no, I'm, look, I'm going to reframe this in my head. I'm going to forcefully reframe it as... <laughs> We always know that even for even when their faces are on there, they have stunt doubles for some of the more difficult and dangerous stunts. He is choosing to give his stunt doubles more acting experience because he's such a good guy. So he's letting them have this because he's been the star in a lot of stuff and these nameless stunt doubles haven't. So he's helping out his stunt double buddies. Uh, Jimmy, I will only accept this as an explanation if they go full space balls and at some point accidentally capture his stunt double instead of him. If they do that, I'm in. But right now, it's not enough. They're accidentally capturing the stunt double in every scene, my man. He just has a mask on, so he can take it off. <laughs> they just haven't played it out. I'm but pretty disappointed. Recaps. We start with the flashback, which has a very definite, very long reference to Moff Gideon. They want us all to remember that character. Um Betting dollars to donuts, that character is coming right back. We will see Moff Gideon before the end of the season. Um, we get the quote, death would have been justice for his atrocities, but apparently he's not dead. Bo-Katan getting into the creed by saving a Fallon, Grief Karga, offering land to Mando, explaining that Grief doesn't want to bow to the New Republic. You know, Spencer and I just did, uh, we reviewed Ted Lasso this week and got that new podcast episode up over on the Lasso Lowdown. And in it, I said Ted Lasso was like the, the, 
King show of Chekhov's gun. Like if something is referenced or happens in the show, you bet damn well that it's going to come up later. Mandalorian, I think, is just about on that level with their recaps. Their recaps oh, yeah. really tell you exactly where the episode's going to go. Um, so, you know, for this episode, it was important to reference it, that plot of land. I love that, actually. I think that's really clever because for people who either know it so well that they don't need it or who really hate spoilers or something, that skip button's real easy on skipping those intros with how it is now. It's not like if it's on, you know, old TV. Right. But for sure. the people who want it, that lets them go as in-depth and, like, assume you know what's going on so much harder than they could otherwise. Because for people who need to be walked through it a little bit, like me, who are dumb, I, I, I look, I, I'll be as dumb as Mando. I can, I, I'll say that. That's okay, Terry. You can, or Lee, you can call me. On, I, I can. On, ongoing, Spencer, I know Spencer didn't listen to the podcast. Spencer, <laughs> ongoing, ongoing battle between me and Jamie about if Mando is smart or not. I think he's actually kind of dumb, and I think that word... Is, has has hit Jamie incorrectly. He does not feel, he does, does not hit him uh, does not hit him well. So he, he pushes back on it pretty much. Look every time. look look. He I, is I, dumb. I, I, He's I'm dumb. quietly I'm quietly struggling over He's these dumb. weeks with my own internalized uh, intellectually based ableism. Where if you said he was not physically strong, I'd say shrug. Um, but if you say he's not intellectually strong, and I'm like, no, I got to come into his defense. You're, you're working me through some stuff here, man. But but yeah, no, he's yeah. We we Spencer is Mando smart. With some odd choices, or is he eh, kind of dumb? He is not the sharpest tool in the shed. He's yeah. got some emotional intelligence to bring to bear, but I—it's not just purely plot that is driving some of his decisions. Is my kind of call on this. I think yeah. he's kind of dumb, but I—I I, I mean, you can be dumb in some specific ways and intelligent in other ways. Like nobody's like all dumb, pretty much, and nobody's all smart, pretty much. Um, so we start with Navarro, which is thriving. Grief Cargo doing some bureaucratic work. He screams. He hears screams. He hears screams from down below, and he he takes a moment and he goes and sees Gorian Shard's pirate ship. The Corsair pirate ship is up above. He's told that there is. Uh, he gets a brief from his droids about the Corsair ship being there. Cargo says he doesn't want to buy them off. That would set a bad precedent. I, I don't disagree with the logic, um, but you know, I, there's always I don't think a time place. Right now, really? It's like, right. Where if, you, if you don't have a defense force, if you don't even have a police force, it looks like, your option is pay people off. That's what you've defaulted to. Yeah, I'm a little unclear because it sounds like, you know, this is the capital city of the planet, but he is the high, you know, he, he's the high magistrate. High magistrate. Um, of the planet. And the planet doesn't have any defense. Like, he was saying, I need a deputy. If he was saying, like, I need a head of security forces or I need a bounty hunter to be outside the law. He could have done those. The guy has no defenses for a planet in the like I'm independent and don't need the protection of the new Republic. What? I, mean, I feel like he's skipping a couple steps that civilizations realized early is that once you settle down and have shit, the first thing you kind of would need to invest your money in on is protecting that shit. It's like he's talking about building new like starport wings or shipping terminals or what was it? Uh, rail spurs. It's like, use all that money and pay for a mercenary to for- force to defend you if you're not going to sign up for the New Republic, sir. Right. It, it, it's great that Coruscant maybe doesn't need to have active military in the streets. You do kind of, if you have pirates in the streets, you kind of need to get past the pirates in the streets stage first. And um, he used to. He used to wait, run, you know, the bounty hunters. He had all of the pirate guns then. Are, are you telling me that somebody on this maybe likes uh, the TV show The Expanse and saw the series where they said, look, you need to have the Wild West before you have post offices. You can't jump straight to post offices. 
Uh, hard yes. Great oh, show. yes? Okay. Love it. So I'll offer a half-hearted defense of this because I also had the same thought. Well, first, it, it is the Outer Rim. And so the amount of, like, traffic that you'd be getting or visitors to the planet is extremely low. He did have pirates come and, and be, uh, you know, on the streets oh, and have that whole thing. Yeah, that did happen. But in that, between then and now, maybe he didn't, maybe he's been trying to scale up, but just hasn't had time to get mercenaries in. But pre that situation, being as far out as Navarro is, we hear later in the episode that the people in Coruscant don't even know what the fuck that planet is. Like the, I think maybe that would potentially be seen as a lower priority because he gets so few visitors and so few foot traffic that aren't aren't targeted that are intentional people going, I'm going to Navarro yeah. for X reason. So that's a reason. Um, it does strike me as a little strange that somebody who spent their entire career in something like bounty hunters doesn't even have a ship, doesn't have anything. I agree. That's strange, but I, I would say maybe the only, only answer I could think of is the, is the placement of the planet and that it maybe didn't get a lot of passers by and visitors. But you know, it has pirates and you know, it got, and you know, it used to get pirates and bounty hunters. You know, it's more prosperous than it was when it got pirates and bounty hunters. Um, I, I don't we know that I, he was. He, we know that he is trying to get a sheriff. I mean, he was actively recruiting Mando, so maybe that is but, on his to-do what, list. What, it just hasn't happened. Uh, and, and I do also accept. So, a okay, I'll, I'll come to his defense. I'll, I'll devil's advocate myself here. Um, he is prepared for six pirates rolling up in a you know in a ship. He had that happen. Right. In in his. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Mando helped, but he was ready to go out and intimidate Bully, kill them as necessary. He's not prepared for a small army. And the guy brought a small army. And fine. Yeah, I, I accept it is still even if it's more prosperous. It's a small outskirt. You don't have every Wild West town d- isn't prepared for an army. Any army could take over any Wild West t- county if it tried to. So, and, and I think that distinction yeah. of Wild West Town is important here. Though it is a planet, though he's marketing himself as now being like a regional hub kind of thing, um, this is playing on the classic Western trope of the sleepy Mexican town that now they need to bring in outside defenders to protect them against the banditos that are now just sailing atop them. This show has done that trope before, working off its Western tropes. Now they're doing it again by this means. So it fits within the, the the space western kind of vibe of the show. I would note just from his perspective of that for a community like this, it's going to be outside investment that helps you grow. And the main thing outside investors are looking for is security. So again, buy some friggin' turrets or hire a mercenary company going forward. You, the people will be a lot more secure with their money coming in. Or wait, well, hold him on a moment. He did just inadvertently get a in live-in security force. His is now the most secure planet in the outer rim. He did and. Going into your trope, uh, we've got Bo-Katan, we've got Jen, we've got Paz. They are the three amigos. <laughs> Man, and Lee, that's another movie that you probably haven't seen. Everybody seen that one. fun of the movies he hasn't seen in the comments because I really need him to know <laughs> that he needs to start a podcast with me of I make him watch terrible movies and then we react to them. He did want me to watch Waterworld, which he, he seemed to think was something everybody should watch. Most people who've written in have said they've watched Waterworld. I, so let me say this about – you said the most secure Outer Rim planet. It's definitely not the most secure Outer okay, Rim planet, no, even not, with but, the Mandalorians, because because Thrawn is still out there, and Thrawn still has an active base in the Outer Rim. Uh, and I'd like to point out that, like, going back to this whole concept of, like, should he have had an army? Should he have had mercenaries? Should he have had people there for security? Yeah, he definitely should have. But one of the thing, one of the things that is pretty, like, 
talked about regularly in the Thrawn books that Timothy Zahn wrote uh, is that like Thrawn runs a tight ship out in the outer rim. This is where we are absolutely in Thrawn's timeline right now. He has been controlling the outer rim since about the uh, few years before the events of a new hope. And so this concept that you just have pirates show up is that does not happen in Thrawn's outer rim. And that's why the show is making this, this connection between Gorian Shard and the Imperial forces that are still out there, I think, because Gorian Shard wouldn't have been operating out there the way he is if Thrawn didn't want him to. Like that, that's not like he, he would have shut that down. your leave of, hey, you know, you bother the people who aren't me and I'm fine with you, but th- there would have been communication there at least. So my idea of sure. Gorian Shard is the, sm- uh, or, um, the, the Pirate King is the, not the big bad for the season, but is an agent of the big bad. Yes. Probably, even though we haven't seen him interact with anybody, Empire, it was kind of said by the one, uh, uh, Republic guy of, no, this is all interconnected, implying, and maybe we'll get a conversation of, you know, um, that it was at least by the leave of Imperial forces, like, like Thrawn, who I can't not hear the word prawn, and my brain wants him to be a giant shrimp so bad. Well, you're gonna, you're gonna see him Pretty soon. Nice. I think he's gonna show up before the end of the season. So he, uh, one of the thing, distinct things I got from the book, the Thrawn books, is that Thrawn even runs a tighter ship than the, the Emperor. I mean, like, he's more, his attention to, his attention to detail is even sharper than Palpatine. And so the idea that like, I am sure Gorian Shard was operating with his leave, if not being directed to by him. Um, okay. So we start, uh, then we, we hear Gorian Shard start to sort of, uh, insult, uh, grief cargo a little bit, calls him a pampered nobleman. Uh, uh, cargo says, don't, ex- don't mistake my hospitality, hospitality, Fatality for weakness. Gorian brings up killing his gunman. Uh, then we get this from Karga. He shot first. Little Greedo reference. He shot first. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. Um, and then he says, well, now I shoot first. He says, are you sure that a good idea? And then Karga uh, tries to posture that, that the New Republic is going to come help him. Or that They come by and they check regularly, et cetera. And Gorian basically calls his bluff and says, that's bullshit. I say, it says right here, you're an independent planet. He probably has a little bit more insight into the fact that the new Republic is not operating particularly efficiently than Karga does. And so he knows this is an empty threat. Um, his astromech. You can, you, you can count ahead. on pirates to know where the, know where the authorities are and where they are not. So I, I, I also, I, I also say, I love their history together. Where he's like, this isn't a game of cards. You can't bluff. I know what your hand is. Kind of thing. I, I love them saying that they have, yeah. they, they have a rapport that's kind of vague and I'm fine with that. I, I once again, I love it when they show without exposition time that there's a backstory here that we just don't need to know all about, but it's the backstory, the hidden backstory is also interesting. Like, uh, yeah. Game of Thrones, Patrick, by the way, uh, did anybody recognize the voice of grief Car- of um, the pirate, by the way? I was recognizing it, but I didn't know exactly who it was. Who is it? It's uh, Zaro Zaro Doxos, the uh, uh, black version from Carth in uh, season two. There we go. Got it. So, uh, Karga's astro droid, astromech droid comes over and Karga loads it with something. It's definitely a help me Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Very help precious. me Mandalorian, you're my only hope. Um, uh, help, help me, me Grogu. Mr. Kim. Help me Mr. Kim, you're my only hope. That's who he sends the message to. Help me Grogu, you are my only hope. Let me see the Corsair attack and it's just fucking up Navarro left and right to the point that you guys got into, which is absolutely something I had here in my notes to talk about. There was just, Seemingly zero ships, zero security anywhere. 
You know, I There's just no, think I, I, I think we can talk through why that might be the case. I just think the show would have been better served to have a, a few token ships go up and get blown yes, out of the sky exactly. because then it would be less obvious and it would just be easier to follow. So There's even somebody else with a gun beyond Grief Cargo. He's like he's the only guy who even has a gun in town. I agree. So so with that in mind, you're right. It would have been better. Um, I I. I do try. I try to. I try to find things to be upset about, and then I try to talk myself out of being upset about it, so I can have joy in my life it, again. It is your normal process. Yes. It is. So, so now that I've gotten upset, I never get that, that far. Okay. Um, Stops it upset. Here's the thing. So, <laughs> say he had an above average for this town size of defenses. How many uh, guys would that be? Uh, ten guys with ten small planes. Just, maybe. Like, like ten officers for the town, and then maybe two ships. We're talking like that. There's oh, like I, a patrol. I, okay, yeah. So for like trade patrol. But let's let's round it up and say he had five ships with five pilots who were they're dead. competent. What would they have done against this giant nothing. ship? No, nothing. Nothing. And so you probably Carter would have ordered them to to run, honestly, rather than stand and fight. Right. He Protect the refugees. He, he might have said protect the refugees. He might have said get people out. He might have said be a distraction, but really, you send them up. Your ships are going to get blown up. Your pilots are going to die. You cannot fight this. Um, so let me pretend for my own well-being that he has some token, but enough for a town this size, defenses. And he, once his bluff is called, he's not going to shoot his pea shooter. He's going to evacuate immediately and, and, and forget about the pea shooters. Just run. What? The problem, problem with that is that they didn't even Agreed. know the ship was there until it was immediately over their heads. So they don't even have a radar that's going to monitor where these things are coming up. Well, he's got Romulan stealth tech. No, no, he doesn't. We never he's, see it. It therefore doesn't exist. He's got Martian stealth tech. Oh, Cut God. to the opening slides, chapter 21, the pirate. Doo, 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 doo. Cut to an area where the New Republic is. Some sort of base for the New Republic. Really looks like a Star Wars USO, doesn't it? They're in there yep. playing pool. Yep. They're having drinks. Probably some really bad coffee in there. Uh, our guy, Corian, our, our guy, Captain Carson Tiva, Mr. Kim, uh, thank you, goodbye, uh, gets Grief's message. He explains he's been attacked by Captain Gorian Shard. He says he's asking for help. We don't ask for aid lightly. The situation is dire. Rocky, Rocco, come help me, Rocky. I don't know. I can't, I can't get out of the fact that that guy's a pilot creed. I'm afraid we will fall and Gorian will turn this into a pirate base. Tiva watches this, obviously concerned. Then, Knock me out of my seat. What the fuck is happening? Zeb shows up, which pretty prominent character for multiple storylines in the show Rebels, Star Wars Rebels. They just they just like this is a character that has a whole whole backstory, has a whole history in Star Wars Rebels. I've never seen him in the comics, but he was in the show Rebels. And they did. It's what's interesting to me is that like any other non-playable character could have played this role. But they chose Zeb just as a little, like, Easter egg for yeah. the Star Wars fans, which was kind of fun. I was curious about that, because I've not seen Star Wars Rebels, but this guy felt so confident and well-realized when he walked up. I assumed it's like, that's some lore character walking up right now, isn't it? So, yes. so yeah, I, similarly, I haven't seen Rebels. I didn't know this was a character. And it, it's making me realize, um, it's not genre savviness. It's just recognizing how they do characters. You're right. He had a swagger. He had a personality. Which, if it were an ordinary like NPC of no name something, 
either the actor wouldn't have enough to go off of to do it or the director would say, tone it down, son, you're, you're an extra. Just pull <laughs> it back in. And this guy was able to just be a fully realized, you know, I got thoughts. I'm not saying my thoughts. Do your thing, man. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, 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 I liked it. And I actually want to see more actual nameless NPCs being like that because they all have secret inner lives. Do more of that. But I, I do love that. And I, it is fun that these TV shows have just decided, you know what? We have, we have pushed the limit on exactly what is old canon real and not. Every single possible thing that we can make canon, we're making it all canon. The, uh, nice, the old Republic video game, canon. We are, we are referencing it explicitly in Andor. Uh, the, the Christmas special cartoon, canon. We're referencing in Boba Fett riding a, riding a thing. Um, that's great. I love it. So you might be think watching this going, well, how do you know this guy Zeb? They didn't say his name or anything. So this guy is a, a Lasset, uh, L-A-S-A-T. Uh, uh, that's his, um, species. Species, and he's the last one. Like it, that was very established in Rebels that his home world got ex- got blown up, and that it's it's very much like a Princess Leia, like Alderaan type thing. Like his home world got mm-hmm. destroyed, and this is his motivation for hating the Empire. And he fucking hates the Empire, and it's not surprising to see that he's still with the New Republic, still working missions against them because that's where we left him in Rebels. He he did a bunch of very successful missions, not a bunch, a couple of very successful missions in Rebels. He kind of like left the storyline. Doesn't surprise me. He's shown back up at what equates to a, a New Republic USO. But that's Zeb. Very cool. Well, never really interesting. Like, I, I hope they do more with him because I don't know anything about his character, but just from what you said, you know, the last of his species. So, you know, he doesn't really – his planet gone or whatever. And then he succeeded in his goal, you know? So what now? And is it, you could go a lot of ways with that. Him being like really happy to achieve his goal or really empty that he has vengeance. And now there's nothing to live for. And I feel like the way this was played could actually go both directions at once where, you know, now he's doing his part, but he's also just kind of drinking and doesn't care anymore. Uh, So much in like three sentences out of that guy. So much possible. Concern prediction for end of season. I'm betting this face is going to get hit by Thrawn, and I'm betting that if, if he's an established character, they're going to use him as a tearjerker. Yeah, Zeb no, probably, no, 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 probably die because he's going to have a reason to live now, and we're going to find out more about him now. I, I would bet. I would bet that pretty much everything you see that says New Republic on it, other than things on Coruscant, gets fucking murked by Thrawn before look, he goes down. Look, I, I, I'll, I'll bet you three legal opinions that uh, um, that that, he, that that character survives the last season, we, but we do see him again. I'll tell you this. Or, uh, the, the end of this season. They've spent a lot of money or a lot of time and effort really building up the Thrawn character in other canon. When Thrawn makes his appearance, this is not going to be a bathe in the man, the waters. Like I, he's, it, it, this thing gets wrapped up in episode three. It's going to take multiple seasons of multiple shows to take Thrawn down. Like he's been established as the it, it big, better. big, big, ba- big Bowser in the big glass castle, ca- castle for Mario. Like it is not going to be easy to take this guy down. I would not, I, I, I agree with Spencer. I think that this base will be destroyed. I think our, I think Mr. Kim is going to be out of here. I think Zeb will be out of here. I think the whole, whole lot of them will be killed once Thrawn decides to come out of hiding and, and truly attack. <laughs> They're the classic mob shirts. They've got characterization. We like them from various medium. We will be invested in know when they're going or when they might die. It's an easy tearjerker for them to play to show how bad, big and serious the bad guy is. It's it, there's a reasonable death flag there. I accept I accept your bet of uh, I, I will I will want your three legal opinions later. I want them freshly printed from Westlaw. Well, no, want, no, no, I no. I want you to tell me your opinions on stuff. Oh God. Okay. Sure. Yeah. That's what. Yeah. You're well, he can do that for sure. But moving on. <laughs> Uh, we, uh, I'll tell you this, that, um, 
Rebels with, with Zeb and the last at home planet, like that's another example of like what Jamie was talking about, about how there's all this stuff sort of happening in the background and you get small windows in it based on the story that's being told. Like the fact that the Empire destroyed Alderaan, destroyed, didn't necessarily destroy it in the same way they destroyed Alderaan, but, but roasted the surface of Mandalore. These are not the only planets they did that to. Like we get little right. windows in that they were doing this to a lot of planets that would that step that line where the, the Lassets were is one example of it, but I think yeah. there's more in the media. Yeah, as we saw in episode four, the New Republic has its crimes, cor- corruption and incompetence being among them. Let's never forget the sheer magnitude of the evil the Empire was capable of and regularly performed, though. Let's, sure. let's no do false equivalents here. Cut to Captain that, that, Tiva. That, that is a good point. I, I'm not sure that we want to grade their um, re-education camps on a curve, but if you graded it on a curve, they'd be knocking it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the re-education camps, isn't there – maybe there's a little parallel there to, like, how Americans held Asian Americans in what amounted to, like, concentration camps what? during World War II. But you, it would be kind of a stretch to – well, you, well, I mean, they, they, they were put them they, – they put them somewhere, right? Like, they, they were they were, they were taken – hold on just one second. Let me finish with the yeah. point. And – but it would be a stretch to compare that to what the Nazis were doing, right? Like, so like, it, it's kind of a real world example of like the New Republic is absolutely doing wrong, but it would be a stretch to compare that to the Empire. I, I was going to draw off the comparison you just made. It'd be, I think it's one of the films more on point, but it would be what we did to uh, German POWs after World War II, for we often kept them for years afterwards to do manual labor and like mine removal after uh, for, for for years after World War II in various ways. Feels like that, they're, right. they're kind of going into that yeah. kind of thing. That's so Zeb basically tells Tiva, like, hey, good luck. You're, I haven't heard from Coruscant in weeks. You're not going to hear from them. And Tiva goes, well, do you know what? I'm going to fucking go. So he goes to Coruscant. We see him walking up, strolling into Colonel Tuttle's office. I like the actor who plays Tuttle. This guy's been yeah. a lot of things. He's a, yeah, he, he's great. He, he's he laugh. tends to laugh when he's on screen. I don't think this is a, this is a funny role, but he, he just makes me laugh because, you know, Pavlovian well, reaction. I think well, it's he, effective with him still, because he, the, he put a lot of – oh, go ahead. I think it's effective with him because the fact that he's a comic and the fact that he's being almost sarcastic in terms of interacting makes him more frustrating in the way it needs to here. The fact he isn't being fully serious, you don't associate him with Bill pulling serious, makes what should be a coldly serious moment feel all the more anger-inducing. So one of the things that like we do on the podcast a lot across the different Mango Talks podcast feeds is I request gifts from Spencer I never get. Spencer, I'd like to I, I request another gift from you. I'd like mm-hmm. an Adelphi Squadron shirt, please. I feel like that's a that's a absolute low key <laughs> cool shirt to have. Adelphi Squadron. Adelphi Rangers, even better. We're 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 bringing Fuck that yeah, party. hell yeah. Let's put Rangers on it too. I like that. I like that. So anyway, he shows up. He says, "Look, I need help from the Adelphi Squadron to protect Navarro." The Colonel hadn't heard of Navarro, which I I think that's good writing that he he didn't didn't necessarily know. That's one of the things that always like, kind of confused me about. Certain everyone scenes in Star Wars. Everyone knows where. Yeah. So, you know, like it's a, it's a whole universe. They're not going to know all these planets, yeah. right? Um, so Tiva explains it's a small planet on the outer rim. Right away, I think the Colonel is skeptical that it's on the outer rim. You can see his face change a little bit. Tiva hands over the message. The Colonel puts it in, listens to about five seconds of it, turns it off, says he's got the idea. Elia Kane walks over. Dump, dump, dump. That's our our big baddie, I think, on on Coruscant right now and she just happens to be going to the commissary. Can I can I possibly get you something? I'm just trying to be helpful here. Oh, but uh, oh, since I'm here, I guess I'll join the conversation. 
Colonel Tuttle asked her, hey, you spent some time in the Outer Rim. You ever heard of Navarro? She says, yes, I have, and I've spent some time there. Of course she, she has. Of course she has, because she was part of Moff Gideon's personal guard, right? She was on his his ship. So she, mm-hmm. of course, has been on Navarro, where he was doing all the all the cloning, all the snoking. Let's call it snoking from now on. He was snoking. And she says they have yet to sign the charter and they are not a member planet. She really harps on this. She actually insinuates during this conversation that it might be good to let them die on the vine for a little while. Teach them a lesson. Teach them a lesson about how important it is to join the charter, be a part of the new republic, which obviously Tifa recoils from. That's he calls it imperial thinking. She's essentially suggesting let's let them just, you know, burn on the vine and we'll send the other systems that are kind of on the fence the right message to get them to join our cause. And and that is imperial thinking. And Tuttle, Tuttle, you know, gets upset with with this guy he doesn't really know from a Delphi squadron Mm -hmm. saying, hey, he's out of line. I'm not sure he's out of line. I think that's a that's pretty on the nose to call out that that was the type of intimidation tactics, tactics, the empire routinely and you know, was involved in. I think that's absolutely fair to point that out. So, anyway, so I, I look, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to put on the, 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 the bad, bad cowboy hat. Uh Oh, I know the black hat. Here you go. Look, Here we go. Look, look, if we all just agree, then we're, then we're having a hug, not a podcast. Uh, uh, I'll do that. Go what, on though. What do you guys want them to do? A, what do you want the uh, new Republic to do in this situation? And B, how are they supposed to get anybody to join the New Republic if they're giving away all the benefits to anybody out there who you get for being part of the New Republic? It's the two different philosophies. You either show what you can offer by means of helping people where you can to show that you're a banner that people can trust and rally behind. That's what we kind of expect out of the Rebel Alliance of the Republic. Or you go the other way and show what they're risking by not doing so, which is the more empire philosophy of, let, let let them rot, let them burn, maybe even quietly encourage, you know, pirates to attack them so they get flocking to our banner, hint, hint, nudge, 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 so that you'll then scare the other ones into submission. It's two different well, ways of accomplishing yeah, the same n- thing. Nobody is actually saying to encourage the pirates. But no, I'm, saying... I'm, I'm, I'm hinting at what I think Thrawn is doing with respect to pirates. Oh, okay. Got it. So wonderful answer, Brad Spencer. That was yep, absolutely That's a great answer. really, really succinct answer about the two different philosophies that the show's kind of toying with. I I can offer another option, which is you have a ranger in front of you. That's not a small position in the new Republic. Maybe trust your guy, like maybe like just internal management of your own people. Like he's here telling you this is important. I'm the one out in the outer rim. You're not. I'm telling you this is important. I'm telling you these things are connected. You don't become a ranger overnight. Maybe you trust your guy in this situation, and it's less about Navarro and more about how you manage your people. So of my two concerns that I said in my wearing my evil, evil bureaucracy hat, you did address the one over, like, why would people join, like, kind of her take? And I, I actually you, – you sold me. Like, I hadn't thought about that too hard. The idea of instead of letting it be seen that, no, you don't get the milk until you buy the cow versus, yes, I'll give everybody some milk, and the ones who – They'll really like cows. Will, will want to be part of the cow. Um, and yeah, that is kind of the rebel, perhaps naive thinking, but that's part of what makes them idealists and good guys and such. So I, I buy it's in, but it's, the other, it's inspiration versus fear. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the empire took that further of inspiring fear, um, as sure. opposed to what they're actually saying here of just look, um, you know, we want to help you if you want to be helped and we'll wait for you to come to us kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. but, but my other question remains un, un, undeterred. What do you expect them to do? 
because just send off to this random place. As he said, they have a backlog of people who are part of the system in the mid rim or whatever, who are asking for very similar rescues. And the Republic has a lot of resources, but they can't just send off to random spots. You want to send the Ranger and his team? Well, then their base is going to be undefended. And they're in the outer no, rim too, no, I, Thrawn and everything. I, I understand the point, but we also hear from them saying they've not even gotten orders from base in weeks. I think in some ways these guys are sitting idle because the bureaucracy is collapsing under the weight of its own just burdens and weight of its own inertia. I, I, I feel also that this is – if you want to send, like, examples, if you want to send messages, if you want to have these big media opportunities to recruit people, this is an easy target. You know he's there. You know he's just hanging out over the city. You've gotten the information. Send in a strike fleet of hell. They blow up this thing with two fighters. We see that they've got a, a dozen or more that are sitting at this base. They got every opportunity for an easy pirate hit, regardless of their the burdens, and they may not have many. So it seems like they're being idle because those that are commanding them aren't able to do so anymore. You know, you're, you're saying though it's it's a good message. They can actually succeed at it. Um, it's not going to send a message to anybody else. If you know, not to be cynical, but no one if outside of this small part of the Outer Rim knows who Navarro is, apparently. It's not going to help with the <laughs> it, Republic bigger thing. Can I also point out that, like, you and, – and I appreciate your playing the devil's advocate because that's spurring the conversation. Like, we were able to talk it out this way. So thank you for playing that role on the podcast. But, like, the – um you know, this concept that, like, well, why join the Republic when you can get the services for free? Well, I mean, I, I guess my answer to that would be, like, well, in order to get the services, all they had to do is have a pirate invasion, have many people killed, have their – Buildings get blown up, have refugees out in the middle of fucking like it, this wasn't a small price they paid to get New Republic resources. Like it, it had to be a very critical situation for them to get there. Right. Like, so, it, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, I, 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 do, I do take the idea, though, that it's not even that we don't have the manpower that we don't care. It's we our ability to manage ourselves and our ability to defend things is stretched to the limit already. We're doing stuff and we don't have the bandwidth to add another stuff. Um, you know, I don't the think, end of the line kind of thing. I don't think we have some, the fact that it's not just, we don't have the manpower to modular these systems, but we don't have the uh, efficiency of bureaucracy to um, send people to the right places is frustrating, but you do need both. You need, you know, it's, it's, you need the, intellectual power but also willpower you need not just the physical capabilities but you know if you can't if you can't actually do the doing then it doesn't matter that you have the ships right i think that we're not we don't know because these episodes are really short and they don't give us a ton of details but i think that a fair read on the episode is to be skeptical that they truly have a backlog of just as critical situations like i think that i can't get through the little discs on his desk his droid is undermining him because he has too many discs Right. So he does have requests. I'm saying I, I'm a little skeptical that they're all as critical as the Navarro situation is. I don't think they know. I, I think that that's what that's the fair read on it is that, yes, they have a bunch of requests that they haven't seen. They haven't looked at. They had a bunch of people sitting doing nothing like that's kind of the situation. I think. Yeah, I think the bottleneck is that guy and the bureaucracy represents rather than the soldiers in the field. We literally guys. start. We literally start the scene with him saying, don't put more on my desk. I think that's like the literally design. yes. Um, so he uh, Tuttle says, Captain, this isn't a rebellion anymore. We have a structure now. I work. Can we just talk about the bastardization of this word this show is doing? I work in requisitions, so let's focus on <laughs> what you require. Requisitions 
is a derivative of the word request. Request. Yes. What are you requesting? Not what you require. Who the fuck wrote that? I am not. Unha- I'm not happy. Also, it, if you actually require it, then it's not really optional. You need. It requires. It's a request. A requisition is a request system. If he said, so what do you want? What are you asking for? What are you what, requesting? What are you, yes. What, what are you petitioning me for? Come before me. What gifts do you bring? And that's that just, would have made a little bit more sense. That's just fucked up writing. That's just somebody messing up a word. That's all that is. Uh, Tiva says she, he's requesting authorization and backup to help assistance on the pro. Elia, oh, dum, dum, dum. She says maybe the citizens there need to realize why becoming a member is so important by letting them suffer. Sounds like a rather imperial way of thinking. Journal said, this, 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 this is Jamie's philosophy, yes. This <laughs> is Jamie's philosophy. <laughs> Let him rock. Okay, uh, Understood. I, I, yep. I said I was going record. hot. I didn't mean I wanted to be roasted, man. Come on. Elia playing, the, Elia playing the wrong. He says, oh, I'm used to that kind of talk. But from experience, it often takes experience before someone is able to see. See the light. I I just wrote yikes at the phrase mm-hmm. see the light. I don't like that phrase in pretty much anything. Tiva fires back. You and your sword didn't see the light. You were captured. She says, no, I was liberated. Tuttle thanks them for thanks. Thanks him. Thanks, Captain Tiva, for bringing this to his attention. Says he'll try to allocate additional resources. I don't feel good about that. Try um, to do or do not situation. I don't feel good. Uh, he says, there is something dangerous happening out there. All these events, it's not a coincidence. And by the time it becomes big enough for you to act, it'll be too late. Potential line of the episode. I think that like, I think that if I liked the sequel movies more, if the, the first order and the rise of the first order and the battle that happens in the sequel movies, if I like, if I, I had a, a real emotive response to that whole timeline, then I think this line here, by the time it becomes big enough for you to act, it'll be too late, really would have hit home to me. But I don't really give that much fuck about the sequel movies, so it doesn't doesn't generate the same nostalgic feel. But like, think about if this same situation, this type of line was said, I don't know, between episodes one and two or something, and we have that same that emotive response from four, five, and six in the battles they had with the Empire, it really probably would have hit home. But it's just the sequel movies didn't do it for me. Yeah, two, two things here. I mean, I, I agree with you. It feels very much like Mr. Kim is serving as the Cassandra in the story, where he's offering the direct description of what's about to occur, but he's un, he's, he's, un, he's unhealed until things have gone far too late. Uh, it's no, no longer capable. He's going to get exploded. He's going to get exploded by Thrawn. Yeah, he's going to die for the sake of the of the of the incompetent bureaucracy. I also feel like this does provide further clarification. What? Um, we know her name, Officer G six eight, or what? what her actual name? Uh, Elias, that's right. Liar. Um, yeah. It's fine that provides. If there was any ambiguity at the last episode, this provides further clarification that she's an Imperial plant, that she is still an active Imperial agent. And but what's interesting is that she's pointedly trying to keep Republic eyes off Navarra, which yep. straight up says that this is part of Thrawn's sphere. If we think she's associated with that. And it's going to be a focal point in his invasion in once that comes. So it's Navarro so, or pirates. It could be Navarro itself. It could be just, I want the pirate to stay. We don't know if the pirate was sent here by, by the bad guys on purpose or if this is just the pirate being a pirate, but the pirate is allowed Thrawn's to. pawn. It, it, it's all Thrawn's plan. Yeah. So uh, this, Jamie, I don't think you watched this. It won't mean much to you, Spencer. Last episode of Ted Lasso, we had Zava coming. Everybody mm. kept saying, Wait till you see Zava. Just fucking wait. Zava delivered. Thrawn. Zava delivered, right? I'm worried that we're doing that with Thrawn and that he won't deliver. Because by the books, hey. by the books, he should be one of the better villains and, and more astute and 
three-dimensional chess, two steps ahead characters that we've ever seen in Star Wars. I worry that the way that they're, they're going to they're introduce him, and I'm going to be here on this podcast in a year watching the Ahsoka series, and Jamie's going to be telling us, why would you get so excited about this fucking Thrawn what? guy? He's, he's, hey. he's nothing to get excited what? about. We're not over shrimp, uh, Shrimpy, I'm going to be pretty happy, hey. actually. If the show doesn't land Thrawn, we will all call him Shrimp. This is a character the, sh- the, the Star Wars TV series have to land. Has to. He's that important to the lore. If it don't, it, it, it won't be us that's overselling him. It will be the show that does not successfully encapsulate him. Once the it was so we, we fucking are, good in Legends. Oh, go he was so fucking good in Legends that they made Zahn, they made Zahn rewrite the books for the new canon. Like, hey, yeah. I appreciate all those books you wrote about Thrawn. I'm gonna need you to rewrite them, tweak them a little bit for the new canon because we need this character in the canon. So I, I I am fascinated, actually. I don't know that – I can't think of another example where if you've watched it's, – it's not even just the books and the comics. You don't have to go deep into the expanded universe. It's the TV shows, the, old, the cartoon TV shows and everything. But this is a character who they haven't said his name in anything live action ever. Yes, they no. did last – they did last oh. season. Ahsoka said it. Okay. Where is so, Grand Admiral Thrawn? That's true. Okay, so in – so, but that was, the, I think, the first time any live-action movie or show has said it. So there is a large percentage of the viewership who have no idea who he is. Yes. I only know about him because you all said it. I would have assumed it was a throwaway line. I didn't even remember the line happened. Uh, I only know about it because you guys have told me. So you have some people who are will be so upset if he doesn't land, and some people are going to be so confused why you're all upset if it does if it were to not land. So that's a weird place to be. It's they gotta thread the needle. They gotta thread the needle because they could they could really fuck it up. So that was a heck of a scene. I felt like I I enjoyed the back the back and forth and the bureaucracy on Coruscant. Elia looks unhappy with this this guy, this Captain Tiva. She she gives him a she's shooting daggers. She's shooting daggers a lot these days. That character is not happy. She she's not above killing you if you get in her way. So be careful, sir. Cuts to Navarro and they are walking outside the city's outside the city gates. They're kind of out in like a sort of a more deserty part or the lava flats. Or non, like non-built up part uh, of the city, refugees from the city currently being occupied by Gorian Shard. He talks to them, tells them help will arrive soon. I have sent a message to the New Republic. Help is on the way. We didn't get a lot of that scene. It did when he said, "I've sent a message to the New Republic. Help is on the way." It did seem to quiet the crowd a little bit. So it seems like where we're at in the timeline, the New Republic still has a little bit of built up goodwill. But most people mm-hmm. assume the New Republic will help. I think the fact that the New Republic isn't willing to help here, that would really hurt them from a PR perspective, but eh, oh, whatever. Um, cuts to an X-Ring showing up at the Mandalorian's base. Tiva has his scanners pinging, and he sits his X-Wing down right in front of the cave. We know it because we see Bo's ship. Bo's ship is right there. He gets out. He walks up to the cave. Jamie, I know you have to go at some point, so whenever you have to go, don't don't worry about cutting me off. Just cut cut me off and say, I got to go. All right, I'll um, be here for a little while more. Uh, he hands outstretched. Walks up, identifies himself as Captain Carson Tiva, Delphi Squadron. He Delphi Rangers where he uses it here, which is just awesome. Delphi Rangers, got it. He apologizes for showing up unannounced. But if he'd have announced he was coming, they would have left. True that. Mando, mm-hmm. ask him how he found them. R5 is a snitch. That's how. R5 is a fucking snitch. Uh, he's not a snitch. He's just loyal to his original employers. Look, look. What do you think is going to happen to that droid now? Question oh, he's well. dead. He's toast. We're kill, killing like characters our, here. How did he know that the droid was with Mando? I, th- I think R5 actually sent a message saying, I'm with Mando, just so you know. And like, he would you know, have I to have. 
He would have to have, yeah. He would have to he, uh, proactively he, he's communicate it. Straight chatting. He's, there, there, there's a droid equivalent of Snapchat. He's, he's talking with Mr. Kim on. I, I hate that droid so much. I love him, but I mostly just hate him. Mostly Snitch, just hate him. Snitches get the junkyard. That's where he's going. Mando says the entire covert has to relocate now. Paz offers to kill the guy Mando says, Tiva cut him a break once. Now he's returning the favor. When did he cut him a break? For those keeping at home, it's during Frog Lady episode. Uh, that's mm-hmm. when he cut him a break. Yeah. He, he was he was supposed to, like, arrest him and take him in for, like, expired plates on a – I mean, it was actually, like, more than that. But that's what it was that, – that was the, the, the uh, excuse. And then he just ran, and the guy went, ah, let him go, right? Yeah. Also in season, I think it was in season two, he let him go for speeding as well. Or at least he chose not to chase him for speeding. He didn't chase him, yeah. Oh, yeah. really? That's the one I'm remembering. I forgot it was twice. I only remembered it the once. Yeah. I'll tell you what Tiva is. Like, this kind of goes back to the show The Wire. Like, Tiva is like the old school police officer who kind of oh, like yeah. works the block, gets to know people, doesn't worry about stupid, petty stuff. He wants and, to and wants to get like ends for the bigger things going on. Like, he's not, you know, mm-hmm. Stop and frisk enforcement. Killing right. people not, for not, a fucking not skittles. Not with the criminals, but like, look, I don't care that you're jaywalking. I don't care that you broke a window. I care that the guy over there murdered somebody, and I really need you to talk to me. Exactly. Not worried about these skittles that you got. Not worried about mm-hmm. the cross crosswalk that you're that you're jumping in the middle of. I need you to tell me about the big blue guy. Can you please tell me about the big blue guy? Big blue guy, red eyes. Now. Have you seen him? His name's Thanos, and that's a different show, you guys. Come on. Stay with me. Mando Dude, walks he over. Shrimp. You understand? Mando <laughs> walks over and talks to him one-on-one. Sorry, I'm imagining a rap sheet for him. And uh, they call you Tater Salad and Shrimpy? <laughs> Grand Admiral Shrimp Thrawn. Steve, it's funny that you, you went to Prawn with that, because when I hear Thrawn, I think of like a like a, like a grasping, like, Mm. Like a like a clasp or like nope. I, I know, assume he's the second frog. species on uh, Mon Calamari. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, they're in the lore Hardy. Tiva admits to Mando that Coruscant really doesn't care about this situation. He says grief is his friend, and you won't just let him die. It's kind of a bold thing to say to Mando. He doesn't really know Mando that well. He says the Empire is growing Reputation. again. Reputation of Mandalorians. They they're loyal. Probably. He says the Empire is growing again, and this pirate thing may have something to do with it. Something doesn't smell right. Look, it's not your fight. I've come to tell you your friend is in danger, and I thought you should know. He walks off. Tiva gets in his X-Wing. He says this, and I have never believed a character more in all of fucking Mandalorian. He says, I I know you'll relocate anyway, but you have my word. I will not reveal your location. I a thousand percent believe he's not going to reveal their location. He's he's a real one. He's a real one. He's real. He's so convincing right there, and he came clearly knowing I might die, but I trust these folks. Um, and I could have come with more, but I didn't. I bet the Mandalorians and even the armorer took a moment to think, could we stay? Ah, no, I can't stay. But I bet they even took a moment to think about it because he was so sincere seeming. But it's also, he came for the sake of protecting other people, too. It's like, the, it's, it's like what's, what's the name of the big dude? Paz or something like that? Paz. Paz, Paz Vizsla. Uh, yeah. Big blue it's, if Paz is starting to look like I actually hurt him, I think the armor is going to intervene and say, no, there's some aspect of the creed that means we can't hurt this guy. It's like, he's came here, balls out, just to have an opportunity to protect other people. Yeah, we kind of got to let him go. How, how did he show up, Spencer? Balls out. Just balls straight out. Up, nothing, nothing to hide, risking everything. Oh, that's all right. That's where he's going with that. I didn't, I didn't understand the, uh, that, that statement. I got it now, though. All risk. All risk. Yeah. Um, Cut to the night. Mando is explaining grief karma. Karga, 
did kill some of their men. He fought against them. And that, and that scene in season one where Mando and Grogu were trying to escape, he admits this, but he says grief has had a change of heart. And he's helped Mando and the foundling Grogu many times. I'm in no position to ask for any more of you, however, the enemy that decimated this very covert were Imperials, not Grief Carcass, Bounty Hunters. Grief is now a high magistrate and has offered me a track of land on his on his world, uh, his independent world. And he says that it might be time for his people to live in the sunshine again so that their children can learn what it is to play in the sunlight. Armor asks, does anyone else wish to speak? And Paz stands up. I feel like this is not going to go good. I did not. I did not like this. Oh, okay. I get to feel. I get to feel as uh, as Superior. smart as Mando now. Um, I'm going to be as smart as Mando and as dumb as Mando as necessary for the conversation. I've decided. Uh, I I actually knew how this was going to go just by genre savviness and intuition and, and a guess, but it was a lucky, smart guess of exactly how it was going to go. I also love that the yeah. hammer is the conch, and they have to hold the conch if they want to talk at all times. Yes. It's WrestleMania weekend. Uh, this is what we call in the business a heel face turn. He's, uh, he gets yes. up. He's like, ah, let me tell you something about this crowd and all you ugly women that you've got here and all your stupid men. I will fight to protect everyone in this building. You know, that kind of sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, Strip Strip says it. Look at all we've spent on this kid. Look seen, at all we've suffered for him. Maybe Dusty Rose did that all the time. Come on, baby. I, I help everybody in this building. Paz stands up and says he'd like to speak. He gives the spiel about how there were on Navarro that night, and he fought against Grief Karga and his hunters. He saw many die to save the life of this one tiny foundling. And, uh, you know, the, the highest duty of the creed. I'm going to tell you this. From, way he, from the way Empire, though. Clarification. From the Empire is, when, is, is the point of actually that was killing the Mandalorians there. Uh, I'll tell you, his, his, the way he phrased this about Grogu, I did not appreciate. I'm just going to let you guys know. <laughs> you made it hard on your kid. He made Grogu seem not important. And Grogu's more important than every fucking person in this whole spiel and planet and system and outer rim. Uh, and he says, now we have our being asked to, asked to sacrifice yet again. The question we should be asking ourselves is why? Should we lay down our lives yet again? Because we are Mandalorians. We are Mandalorians. I've had my disagreement with this man, but he risked his life to save my son of Bo-Katan. And he goes on. He explains, they saved my son. This is what we do as Mandalorians. We save foundlings. They, they did this to me. Let's go, let's go do this now. Um, uh, we, we're going to, we're going to help him because he's asking because we're Mandalorians and it's the right thing to do. Armor says, this is the way with everybody as they all start to do a little. We'll just tap, you know, everybody's into it at that point. Then we get a mission training briefing montage. This, this is really just, just pull the scene like straight out from like Top Gun or something, you know, with the captain standing there. We will be a tight formation and we will attack you have the enemy. Carl Weathers on your show and he got left out of a montage, a training montage. <laughs> it feels wrong. Well, here's the thing I noticed about the training montage is that they all, in just naturally look to Bo-Katan as the leader. Like, they do. Bo, Bo was leading. There Bo wasn't was a reason them. for that this time. Yeah, in last episode, there kind of was a reason for her because she had the ship and everything. But this one, there's, there's not a reason for her but to lead the she, party. Mando she still does have the ship. She still does have the ship. But Mando has a ship, too. Mando has a ship, too. And she, that just makes her the pilot. You don't look to the bus driver to plan your strategy. But she's not just the bus driver. You know, in the first one, she's the only one who had a ship who could get to the place, and she had a plan. She said, we can get there. We can climb. I can climb. She found it. She There was a reason. Here, Mando would be the lead, or uh, or the armorer who's going to. She would be the lead. But no, they, you're right. They look to her 
because she's good at it. She tells yeah. them about the enemy, their capabilities, and we see Mando take off, and he's still got Grogu with him, and we hear this quote from Bo-Katan, you lived there once, hiding in the sewers, now you can be heroes just for one day, you can be heroes just for one day, it's Bo-Katan slash David Bowie. Cut to Navarro, <laughs> oh boy, much of the city is wasted, we see the pirates walking around, they've really kind of roasted the city, and now they're just sort of reveling in the ashes. Yeah. We hear Mando's- and don't give a hoot. Live yeah. um, swamp thing, sweet yo ho. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> that music is playing in the background when we hear do 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 Richard calls out it's the Mandalorian. He sends out five. Oh, Star Wars has the rights to the to the uh, me Hardy's yo ho. They didn't use it. Oh, they gosh. do. Uh, they do. Well, now we know they will never use the song uh, of uh, of really bad eggs. Uh, they'll never use it. This was the one opportunity they had. Don't get Spencer started on the music. He had a, a multi-year period where he thought they'd lost the rights to the Empire Imperial Mind. I had evidence to that effect. Thank you for your help, Mando. He's there. I've decided to take you up, up on your offer for a track of land. Grief warns him he's outnumbered 10 to 1. These are the corny lines that have worked their way into the series that I could do without. I like those odds. I, I I know that Han did some of those lines in the main series. It's not lost on me, but that doesn't give the writers carte blanche to do this every fucking episode, in my opinion. I think it's just corny. It, 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 it wears out its welcome. It's like Han did it, and it was great when it happened. Now, as a repeated motif, it, it gets it gets old and expected. I'm yeah, kind of like over it. Twice in a movie is different than twice in an episode per episode. It's true. Yeah. We see the mechanics. The um, what are these guys called? The Anzellans. The Anzellans. From earlier in the season, <laughs> they are watching. called Muppets, and yep. they are. I love the Enzellans. They are. They are sitting there. They, 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 they notice the Mandalorians, and they're rooting, and they're sitting there looking out their window, rooting for the Mandalorians. Now we see the Mandalorians come in. I'd like to throw it to Spencer here. Spencer, well known throughout the continental United States and the territories of Guam and the states of Alaska and Hawaii as one of the best Halo players we've ever seen. Them. We've ever seen, yeah, Virgin Islands different, different territory, but we, we've all seen, everyone knows Spencer, really good Halo player. We also know Spencer does not appreciate when we have this type of like, we're going to go in and like clear out an area and it look, and it looks like shit. Spencer, how did the Mandalorians look? I actually really liked most of the combat in this episode. I really, I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed how distinctly professional they show the Mandalorians to be for every little bit of scene we see them. They're cops. They're always aware of each other. They're controlling their movements. They're moving up in support of each other. They're anticipating, anticipating for traps. It's good, enjoyable stuff. This is actually like a what Mandalorian has been kind of mixed at times between their battle scenes. Like Boba Fett battle scenes were kind of on the low nader. Mandalorians had some better ones. This ranked, I thought, pretty high when it came to both the arrow combat, but also the groundwork too. I liked the groundwork. I thought that they did not. I, they probably would have gotten a pass from me regardless, good or bad, because like we said, they started off the season not being very, not being impressive in combat. And they're clearly so training and, you know, they're not brand new. This isn't their first time doing anything, but this might be their first time in live combat, maybe. Some, um, of, them. Some of them. And, and, and almost all of them have been doing this less than two years. So they're not trained, experienced veterans. So if they had done bad, like the fact that they, they often are walking without much eye for cover and you know they're, they're watching each other's backs they were in beskar well uh are they a lot of them have scratched up armor this beskar alloy or like steel or whatever 
Right, for a lot of Best scar plated. I have a question for Spencer. No, and no, Jamie, both of you. You both have the floor for this, the answer to this question. Is this the best small tactical unit we've ever seen on screen in Star Wars as far as just how they're operating? Because most of the time they all look like shit. Is this the best we've ever seen? In, in terms of how in terms of them trying to show characters being comp, being competent and yeah, com- competent and combat, from a working together. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's got, it's got a range. Like the best ever. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna say no, just because. I mean, I haven't seen the TV shows, but like the clones in Clone Wars did do be- this. This, but even more polished. No. But they died more because there were lots of them. And they were supposed to die more, so. They had a higher success rate this time, and this there was, was also, maybe more detail focusing on them. I think sometimes we, I think sometimes we give Clone Wars more credit than than I think it deserves. There were also some really cartoonish fight scenes in Clone Wars that, like, of the could, clones. No, well, just when when there's any battle in the Clone Wars, like there was like jumping that was unnatural. There was yeah. movements that were unnatural. Like, I, I actually don't it, even mean the TV show. Kind of I, cartoonish. I, mean, I mean episode two. I mean episode two of the movie. Ah, I was talking about the TV show. Oh, no, the, the clones in episode two of the movie, and even episode three, like the clones there, they are a well-trained military units, and I don't know. I, that's kind of different than what you're talking about. This this is different. This is... This is I did caveat that it was smaller like scale, yeah. Yeah, when, but when else do you see that? What, like Luke and Han uh, bumbling about with, with blasters? Like, well, this just isn't in anything. It's just making the point that you do kind of see it a lot in the Clone Wars TV show, and that it, it looks a yeah. little cartoonish and silly there. I think sometimes you see it with small sure. units of stormtroopers that that don't. I now I agree with you that most of the time in Star Wars, what we're getting is big battle scenes, right? But like when you have ten guys, five, ten guys, whatever, going on some sort of mission like this, I don't know. It just kind of jumped off the screen to me as like, oh, these guys very look, fun. This was good. They're, they're good, competent at yeah. in a way that yeah. I didn't expect. Maybe I don't know. So I, I did love, I love, love, loved that they um, probably sentient, but I think they still eat them. Little monkey things in the tree. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, yeah. Like, I think, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's really true. They were also life. selling like, them good, out later. <laughs> good guys or bad guys. When you have an occupying force who are not nice to the locals, the locals are going to kind of <laughs> move out a little bit. And I, I love that. Yeah. I love just a tiny little thing. And if it's true to life, it makes sense. That's definitely a good point, Jamie. That like the locals would be like, ah, they're hiding over there. Go get them. I, yep. I was I turned to my girlfriend about midway through it, where I was wondering how realistic they would keep this, or whether they'd just go for like you know Ewok speeding stormtroopers moments. And uh, my assumption, if they went for Ewok speeding stormtroopers moments, it would be the Anzellans with like a personal mecha droid they bring in to like start shooting people at some point in this. That was my ultimate Ewok kind of thing of where they went in that direction. I was happy to see they didn't. My head just went, like, I just turtled into my neck. Like, I just, my head went, like, I just cringed so hard. You, you can see him doing it, though. I really don't want that. Because I'm a big Enzelin supporter. I think that they work in the in the capacity that they have them. Jamie mentioned on a previous podcast how, you know, they have little hands, so it makes sense they'd be mechanics. They're smart. Like, I mean, all this stuff, they can speak a little bit of the common language, but not a lot of it. Like, all of that stuff works. If they were in the battle, I would be like two thumbs down. Absolutely no. I'm glad that they're just they're just kind of watching. Uh, so the, the attack goes on, and then we have a moment where our 
non-playable Mandalorians get sort of stuck in the corner and they're pinned down. Mm. And then is that Paz Fizzla's music? Paz drops out of the sky. He looks three times. He's getting his Logan Roy on. I am a thousand feet tall. You are all pygmies. And he stands there and just blasts everybody, getting them out. He must have real Beskar. So his kind of looks scratched up too. I'm unclear on whether Beskar armor can get all scratched up or not. I'm unclear. It it seems like that Mando has the most pure element. Like Mando's is just straight up reflective kind of level. But all of them have some level of bleeded out kind of alloy. Here's the thing though. Mando, for stylistic purposes, because, you know, plenty of them have, it seems like Beskar that's painted and his just isn't painted. So maybe it's that, uh, and I, I, I think Bo. You're chipping the paint? Well, Bo's helmet is scratched, and Bo's helmet must be pure Beskar, but but it's scratched, and it's probably just the paint. It probably is the paint here scratched. Yeah, so yeah. Well, fair, fair. with the impact. Yeah, J- J- Jamie, I'm right there with you. I think that I think that Bo would probably have as pure or close to as pure armor, but hers is just more used, so it just doesn't look as shiny. I, I agree with that take. And maybe it was ceremonial to start with because she was originally not a soldier as much as she was originally a princess. So it had decorative aspects that were not expected to go into combat. Then the pirates pull out a big uh, big gun. Is this a Z6 gun? Looks like kind of it like a Z6. looks like it's in the category, yeah. But it, yeah. It, it, start, it actually starts to knock some Mandalorians around. It does, yeah. That, I think some of them died. It, the it looked like they're bad shots or that there's a lot of kickback on it. And so they were hitting and then there was rock shrapnel, which – can kill unarmored, but the rock shrapnel is not going to go through their armor. So it's a concussive blast that injured but didn't kill, I think. It, it definitely looks like there's some casualties, but I don't think we see signs that Mandalorians actually died during this attack. Yeah. And the, the things- armorer... Oh, wait, I shouldn't get ahead. I shouldn't let you say that. You can do it. You can say it. <laughs> is that the armorer's music? Is that the armorer's music? Yes, when we have, like, the battle um, on in the sky, and, you know, in essence, the strategy here is... Mando pulls all the fighters away while Bo's able to drop the troops down. And then Bo attacks the Corsair. Why he the, attacks the fighters. Yeah, exactly. The Gorian Shard pulls the fighters back. And doing so, the, the fighters go to attack Bo. But then Mando comes back yet over the flank and actually kills about three in, in one dive. And one of them flies into the, the pirate, the Corsair pirate ship, which is a pretty cool fortuitous situation for Mando and mm-hmm. Bo. Mando and Bo are kicking ass out there. I mean, it is, they, they dominate this level of the video game. There's no doubt about that. Um, Quite a bit. So, Shard at one point has lost all of his fighters except for one, Vane. And he's told by his assistant, we gotta get the fuck out of here, and he chooses not to. So this is, I, what I he, want your take he signs his death warrant. Please. On him deciding to stay and not flee. I think there's two reads from my perspective. One is that he is just so proud that he's just not willing to leave it in that defeat. Two is that he was, this is more of the long-term insidious thinking. He has been sent there. He's on a mission for Thrawn and he knows that he's not going to survive if he leaves anyway, because fucking Thrawn will kill him for, mm. for failing in his mission. So he might as well stay, stay there and, and stick it out. Well, it's, so I, it's no, I love that. Notable in terms of returning characters that one of the pirates, on the other hand, flips up the two and gets the hell out of Dodge. Yeah, Vane's going to show up in like a Coruscant bar, you know, in a comic book and, you know, 10 years later. Like, he's just done. Here's what I think. I think he is going to be our introduction to Thrawn. I think he's going to go back to kind of report back because he's the number two. So he was never the contact for Thrawn, but he knows how to contact him, can go talk to him. That would be interesting. Congratulations on your promotion. Admiral Pirates, like it's uh, yeah. 
pirate something king. like that. So so I like that a lot because it, it was kind of bothering me. Um, and I, I was talking to actually I was talking to my dad about this, and he was really bugged that the guy wouldn't have left because pirates. You don't get old pirates who are stupid and don't have self-preservation skills. Agreed. And the guy kind of made a stupid choice that made no self-preservation My initial read was, if you got run off by two ships from a random, undefended world, no one will ever respect you. Your crew is going to mutiny, and you're going to run. But if that were the case, why wasn't he still trying to shoot the ships? He went scorched earth, I'm just killing stuff on the ground. And I'm giving up on self-defense, basically. Um, so it was just it was just hate at that point. Why was he doing that? It didn't make sense. Well, I think it was. Look, I'm dead either way now. So I hate you all. See you could have been. Could, that's a, that's a, that's one read. It also could have been, you know, a last ditch effort to get the fighters off of him. Um, hmm. Maybe they'll go defend go, or something. Go defend. Go protect the people. I don't. I don't know. I mean, it seemed like he was just kind of in a. If he was flailing, he was drowning and he was flailing. But yeah. I, I do like that. That's a that's a good idea to have. Vane show up to try to tell Thrawn what happened. Having read the Thrawn books, I'll tell you exactly how this would happen. Vane would be put into a very, a cargo way, way far in the back of the ship. He would sit there and wait for about three days before Thrawn bothered to talk to him. Thrawn would send an assistant and he would give his report. And Thrawn would hear it through five intermediaries. And if he would finally hear it, it would take about 75 pages of the book. That's exactly how that would work. I'm running a war, motherfucker. You've actually expected to meet with me personally? That's not how this works. Very few people can talk to him in, in person. Point in the, you twice. Uh, well, I, 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 see how they play that. I, I think, um, partially be, well, you might be right. I mean, the, and if, if this has some sensibilities with how, not, I keep kind of making the joke. Thanos was quietly spoken about and didn't do anything directly for a long time and was just very slowly rolled out. There are some echoes of what worked there also being done here where he's super slow being, you know, teased out, even that he exists. Um, And this could be a way that you, you know, he does get a brief audience or something, even if it wouldn't ordinarily be um, just kind of to let the audience have a peek at him or something. It would work Mm -hmm. narratively. Um, I will say that, um, did, Lucasfilm has made that comparison of using yep. Thrawn as the, oh. as the Thanos and that it's basically like that you're building the, all the shows, which were all the Marvel movies up to this massive battle. I mean, I think that's, that, that's been, uh, For the connection record, they've they made. They stole the idea from me right now. Yeah, sounds right. You're the, you are the Lucasfilm source. Oh. We, so, undisclosed Lucasfilm source says. I, I I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. There Can I go. tell you something I didn't like? Please do. You get to, you get to wear the villain hat now. I don't like that the armor just fights with a couple wrenches. What? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Look. No. Okay. No. Defend no, no, no. It. I'm defending you... this. Is awesome. Uh, I'm going to try it again. She. I could. Uh, you don't have to have her be a badass in fighting. You can have people who are charismatic but aren't strong or aren't dexterous or something. But she is a tank. She has, you have to know, both for prestige and respect but also for personal uh, craft, the best armor in the world of of all armor. So she's a tank. She trains these people. Her and Paz trained up all of these people herself. Her weapons are her religion, and she's the religious head. She's a freaking cleric. She's the level 20 cleric, and she is coming in for her John, uh, Jason Bourne moment. 
where she is just using her solid Beskar weapons, which she's saying Beskar shouldn't be weapons as she makes Beskar into weapons like little birds and everything. But so she comes in here and just lays the smack down. It's similar to Bo-Katan when, oh, I'll come save you from the last fighter. And Bo-Katan's like, "Uh, now it's one-on-one. I am an awesome person. You thought he was the only Mandalorian. Don't forget about Bo. Motherfuckers act like they forgot about Bo. Don't forget about the armor. She has earned their respect, and you're not going to earn respect in the Mandalorian religion without strength of arms. This all all, that, cool. that would be fine for me if they're in one, let's say in season five, they're in a similar type of, like, we got to go on this mission, whatever. And someone with a big blaster cannon just shoots and kills the armor, and she's just dead. Like, because you can't fight blasters with wrenches forever. Like, you, you I, there, there's got to be some vulnerable. She's not that, literally invulnerable, you, though. Like well, that, they, you, they, she, they, so, like you have a standard blaster. Yes, it will not get through Mandalorian armor. If you have this fucking seven Z Z six rotary gun and you you lay the hammer on her four or five shots in a row, it will get through that fucking Mandalorian yeah, armor. Could have dodged that thing. It was on a friggin' tripod, and yeah. to turn it around, he would have had to be out in the air. So I don't know how much she knew of exactly what it was, but she went on there on purpose to get this tripod out. They're not going to turn it around and shoot at her. You've heard, heard it here first. You've heard it first. Heard it here from you, first from Jamie. All you, all you need is some Mandalorian armor and a couple wrenches, and you are, un, you cannot possibly be defeated ever. You, you are hitting one of the issues I've had for the show for a while, particularly like in season two, of where they do need to establish a little bit more vulnerability by the Mandalorians for me to actually view them as being under any threat. So I, I've, I've heard people, historians, talk about old knights in armor. And when you had armed you know, knights and how they actually fought, I've watched people like fun YouTube videos of um, they wrestle basically. Well, and, and the thing is, you had to overwhelm them and then stab them with little knives in their armpits, basically, and, and you could groin, do it yeah. you know, in the mask. It had some weak parts, but the only way to do it was to uh, use your numbers and maneuverability. Yeah, if they wrestled her to the ground, they could absolutely win. But just shooting her with medium-sized blasters will never work. And that is so much the go-to in this world where apparently most armor doesn't work. That, that that coupled with element of surprise and her just being really good at it, it was cool. It was fun, which Star Wars should be cool and fun. And it was her, you know, Bo-Katan in the ship moment of don't forget I'm really good at this too. Uh, J- Jamie, I agree, but I, I assume basically the show's going to set us up for all the worst of surprise. If, or if anybody's prepared to fight Mandalorians, it's going to be Thrawn. And when that man brings out the, you know, Star Wars equivalent of a gun on a medieval battlefield, or at least a Star Wars equivalent of, a, you know, a bodkin point on a longbow that goes through their armor in some capacity, and we all react with shock and horror after three seasons of invulnerability, it could be a well-sold moment. I, I will be surprised in the moment, but we'll... I find it very plausible that Thrawn kills the armorer, and that's how we show how well prepared and powerful he is. Well, Thrawn that, that won't kill anybody. Thrawn won't kill anybody, but, but he'll, well. he'll have somebody else do it. He, um, if if the armorer is able to fight Thrawn's forces with wrenches and be successful, <laughs> I will be personally offended. I don't think. Do, I don't, you, do you hate Do you hate Worf in Star Trek? I don't watch Star Trek. Do you hate that Chewbacca has a crossbow? Or that he rips people's fires arms off hands? No. I mean, he gets into melee combat. Why, why can a Wookiee get into melee combat with no armor and, like, 
balls out literally all the time. Dude needs pants. But she goes in fully armored, and you're like, oh, unrealistic. Can't get into melee combat with blasters. I'm Look not. Norkies. Well, I, you see, you're, try, you're trying to draw a comparison. Look, my line of the episode is now look at the Wookiees. That's my you're trying to draw a comparison to say that I'm being inconsistent, but like I, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of the Wookiees fighting hand to hand. I, it's not. And, that, and, that, and that was Lee. Everybody, he's off the podcast, his own podcast forever, for saying he doesn't like the Wookiees. Um, sorry, we, we hate to see him go, but it was it was a it had to. Happen. I don't. I don't find the fact that like in this particular moment. She was able to walk up behind somebody and hit them with wrenches as unrealistic. What I find unrealistic is that someone as smart as the armorer would go into battle and fight with wrenches and not have a fucking blaster on her. That's what I find unrealistic. That, that, that is the, the potential issue. Chewbacca, Chewbacca didn't lead with his fists. He led with his bowcaster, which shot lasers. She always leads with the wrenches. As far as you know, she doesn't even have any other weapon on her. She walked onto the battlefield with wrenches. It's just silly. It's just silly. That, that's an interesting question because – so the reason the reason I could plausibly see her doing that, besides just being cool, I could imagine, like we've said, even if they're smart, their religion has blind spots. It could be a the armor. These are the holy creed. weapons of the armor. Some kind of creed. like creed. Okay, fine. Hand wave out the creed can make you do stuff. It could be. Yeah, you're right. That gun could have hurt her too. So kind of its own version of stealth. Now giant hammers upside the head aren't exactly quiet, but. Getting into melee range first before they see you, as opposed to shooting blasters. I don't know. Maybe you're right, but I I will be curious whether she has a blaster and just decided to use this instead, or whether she's like blasters are for others, these are for me. I'm the armor religion creed thing. I don't know. It's it was Max- cool though. Just admit, just admit it was cool. It was cool. All right, good. We're, we're, we are close enough to one accord. It smacks of like having the blacksmith fight with the blacksmith's tools instead of a fucking sword. When the blacksmith makes swords That's all the literally time. Literally, what it is, my man. That you're yeah. literally describing what's on screen. Yeah. Like my point is that like it never makes it. Yeah, it's like it looks good in a sort of oh well, we know the blacksmith. We know the blacksmith has tools, but the blacksmith makes these fucking swords. It's unrealistic. It's it's unrealistic to me that the guy that 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 she would not have a blaster, but I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll look stupid in two episodes where she pulls out a big honk. She has held a hammer for more hours than she's held a blaster in her life. She could juggle that damn sledgehammer. Can can, can I offer an example of a story of actually where the the guy fights with his tools and it's awesome that actually I think works really well. You guys remember uh, the battle of the wall from Game of Thrones of when uh, the wildlings are attacking the wall and the might swatch has to defend. Oh yeah. Donald Noyle. It, uh, but specifically when three-fingered Hob and the cooks are just going at them with pots just because they the wildlings have broken into their kitchen, there it works because that's all they have to fight with, and now they're going to town with the tools they have rather than that, they that walked a, onto the battlefield with pots. Look at you playing peacemaker here, Spencer, because that's a good that's a good middle ground here, right? Because like if if the Mandalorians were attacked and she came out of the forge with the tools hitting people, I'd go. That's what she had. She's that makes perfect sense. But it seems to me that she went. She decided we're going on a big tactical mission. I want to bring my wrenches. Like that part seems a little silly. And and she doesn't usually have them hanging on her hips. They stay in a special case when she's not using them. So she got them out of her special case to take. What I'm setting up is I think the writers wrote themselves into a corner of where the first time we ever saw her fight, it was with her wrenches because she was next to her forge and she was ambushed by stormtroopers. But now everyone associates her as fighting with the wrenches, where the original example was perfectly in keeping for where she was, when she was, why she did it. 
But now they're her weapons. Just everybody associates it with them being with her in the fan base. So okay. she has to only right. use her wrenches. All right, we're about I, to I actually, I, I do have to. I do have to leave. I, I can I can I make a final word before I go? I apologize. Of course. Conflicts. I want to uh, ask you I, one question before you go. Can I shoot. ask you one question? Okay. Yeah. The, it, there's a very popular theory online that the armorer is going to do a heel turn, that the armorer is actually somehow either either in bed with the Empire, which I don't really believe, or she's so such a zealot that she's eventually going to turn on Mando and Bo at some point. I wanted to get your take because it's a big armor is a lot heavy in this episode, especially in the final scene. Uh, Jamie, do you think we're setting up for an armorer heel turn here? I don't know, but I could see it. And I got a vibe of that myself. I almost... I did. It would have been stupid and it wouldn't have made sense. But part of me, when they came out with her with her mask off, expected the armorer to turn to the group and say, she's gone. She is no longer Mandalorian. <laughs> she's taken off her mask. Bye. And, and, and just like walk off. And then, you know, I just kicked out the other potential leader to the group. Um, it wouldn't have made sense. It would have been stupid. It would have been bad. I'm glad they didn't do it. But there was a tiny part of me that expected her to, that this was a trap for her. Um, and I had that feel yeah, too. So, so it bothered me at first, but I kind of – I accepted the whole she took off her mask a lot earlier than I thought. And I, the idea of if you keep your mask on, what do the Mandalorians think? That you're in a cult, and they're not going to listen and take you seriously. So this is now the one person who can walk both worlds, can be taken seriously because she's shown dedication to the way, but also can be taken seriously by the other folks. But w- what is the armor's real goal? She would love it if we were able to go back as an upgrade to we're all on Mandalore again. But she really wants everybody to walk her way. She wants to have them all combined and maybe quickly, maybe slowly get everybody back in the masks. She wants to be um, the Pope. Right. And and whether or not she's okay. Good comparison. So, so I, I heard I mean, some interesting comparisons to real world, world religions where there's an orthodox group and there's just a cultural group and they don't have – there's some interesting comparisons there. How much will the armor be okay with – some people are orthodox and some people are not. Sounds like kind of not. You're not Mandalore if you take the mask off. Uh, she now seems like, look, we have a chance to be better. And some people will walk differently. But she really wants them all to be in the mask. I'm not sure how much she could easily be a villain of an entire one or two or three seasons if they wanted her to be. Of we've won and now she's making a play almost Game of Thrones-esque. Um, that's interesting. I do see that vibe. I can see it going either way. Um, All right, what do you want to say for you, Bolton? I want to say my line of the episode was, oh. we are Mandalore. Why would we be in our lives? Because we are Mandalore, and I, I love that. Um, I Sh- think, shut up, Paz Vizzle. Yeah, the, the, uh, well, hey, they had, their, they had their bro moment. He was not going to turn on Mando. It, it was pretty mm-hmm. telegraphed that he was going to back up his new best buddy. Um, I think my guess, I'm going to just get it now, is that the best scar was planted on, on there when they, ca- when they uh, got – uh, their guy off the ship. Um, it, it, so no, I don't Both think that. Flag. They, yeah, uh, the, 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 getting him out was the Empire getting him out, but they put some Beskar there to make sure that people thought that it was you know in, to create infighting whenever it was eventually discovered. Um, and oh shoot, I forgot my nostalgic episode, moment of the episode. I'll probably tell it to you next week then. Sorry, we expect, go. we expect a text when you remember. All right, All right. I'll remember later. See you. All right, see you. Have a good one. Oh, 
Just got a text from Jamie that his nostalgic moment of the episode was when the armorer was fighting with her wrenches. So I just got that. Oh, he's an absolute um, favorite. Absolutely right there. got Great that. Nostalgia hey, from season one. Yeah. Hey, I'll wrap up the recap here, but uh, before I do that, same question to you about the Mandalore or the armorer. Do you th- do you see an armorer heel turn coming here? I think they, I think that the show's actually done a pretty good job of making both potentialities possible. That she is legitimately just trying to restore Mandalorian culture and wants to serve an intimate role in that regard, but thinks it's more important that the Mandalorian people come together. That's the face the face the face element that we're getting right now. But they've really set up some effective insidious moments in the last couple of seasons as well that no, she's also a religious fundamentalist to an extreme degree. And also she's incredibly uncompromising about her beliefs. So I would not, if they want to go the face route, I would not find it believable if they don't have at least some tension in that regard. But I think they've left the door open that she's getting all the Mandalorians under her banner so that they can be her banner once the time comes. Yeah, the the bad vibe I get from the armor and why I'm I'm so stuck on this is that she seems to change the rules as she goes. She does. Because she like, controls the creed. Like any any religious leader who continually changes the goalposts based on what is convenient for them at the time, I have a real strong distrust of. Like, I, I, I'm getting real bad vibes from her. Don't worry, man. She brought back some fresh deer for the community. It's going to be tasty. She did kill the deer with her wrenches out in the woods. So that was really, <laughs> really cool of her. <laughs> God, Jimmy will get fired up playing the, the devil's advocate. God love him. Um, all right. So we uh, – the Continue with the fighting, and they actually win. They they end up winning, mm-hmm. and Bo and I gotta say, Bo and Mando make a really good two person tag yes. team on their on their spaceships. They do a phenomenal oh. job because they waste basically the entire crew, and they take down the Corsair. It was pretty impressive. Uh, one just special effect that I like. We haven't seen that many like large starships crashing in Star Wars in a while. Mm-hmm. The pirate cruiser going down and impacting. I thought that was just a well done like you know effect and explosion right there. I feel that's a great point. I feel like they could have spent 50% of the budget, made that a shittier scene, and they just actually went with, let's make it look good. And I mm-hmm. appreciated them for doing that. Um, the townspeople are cheering, as do the little Enzellans. God bless you. I love the Enzellans. Uh, Grief gives a speech where he talks about unity from this day forward. Hi, Magistrate Grief Carga. Carga. Hi, Magistrate. Hi, Magistrate Grief Carga. Here, Apollo Creed, hereby Creed Line to the Mandalorians. You may not have a home planet, but you do have a home. Welcome. And thank you. Cheers, everyone. Paz comes up and tells Bo that the armor would like to speak with her. Then we get this this whole thing with Paz and, or I'm sorry, Paz, who takes Bo down to talk to the armor. And Bo, standing in front of the armor, the armor talks about the fact there was a much bigger, much more impressive bells and whistle forge on Mandalore that she once visited, but this forge. She used for a period of time on Navarro. She also has a forge pretty much everywhere she goes. And she talks about um, how she was taught that the mythosaur existed only in legends. Yet, Bo saw it. And she thinks it's a sign that the next age is upon us. Mandalore must all come together. You have walked both worlds. You are the one who can unite us. She basically says, Bo, take your helmet off. Um, And what you're going to do is you're going to be one who is, I guess. You're going to be the face. You're going to be the face. You're going to be, yeah. We we know that Katie Sackhoff actually is acting these scenes so we can take her helmet off, but we can no longer do that with Amanda character. They're so bitter. They're so bitter. I should be. That's bullshit, isn't it? To not even have, not even have him in the suit anymore. Um, so she takes her back out. And this is the part JB was talking about where I also had the weird feeling where I felt like she, she's already taken the helmet off that the armor could have sold her up the river. But she didn't. So she says, Bo-Katan Kreese is going to 
uh, going off to bring other Mandalorians in exile to us so that we may join together once again. Bo-Katan walks both worlds, and she can bring all tribes together. Mando nods at that. Mando gives his approval, and Paz seems to accept it. We didn't get the same nods from Pod, but he nod from Paz, but he he didn't do. he didn't openly dislike it. And then we get it's time to retake Mandalore, and we end with a shot of Bo-Katan and dramatic music. Do 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 do. All right, there you go. Into the recap. Uh, well, we got the, the last we got one oh, last yeah, scene. We, yeah, we do. We got the scene where uh, our our captain, Mr. Kim. check it out, check Mr. Kim. Uh, thank you, goodbye. Uh, has a chance to check out a cruiser that has just been sort of imperial uh, transport cruiser that's just it, sort of uh, been left out there in the middle of the sea. It's a, it's a lambda shuttle that's just floating out there. He's like, is there a missing ship anywhere? And he calls back to base, like, yeah, there's a missing ship. Uh, it's classified, huh? And they quickly put two and two together go. that this thing was the prison ship that was transporting Moth Gideon. That never arrived for the trial the way they were suspected and were fearful that it had not. Now, they, so. they see trace elements of Beskar on the ship. Now, I think this is a misdirect. I think this is um, making us think that it's the Mandalorians who did it. But who would have access to a lot of Beskar? I don't know. Maybe somebody who took over the planet of Mandalore. Maybe. I mean, the, there's effectively three possibilities here. Option number one, which I think most of us are leaning towards, is that it's a false flag. The, this is the Empire who did this, and they're trying to get the New Republic to turn on the Mandalorians as part of their strategy, which seems very Navarro-focused anyway, or, Mandal- or Mandalorian-focused. Very well could be possible. Option number two, Lynn's the other thing we're talking about, this is a sign that the Armorer is dealing, doing, waging her own secret war, because we saw how unhappy they were that Moff Gideon wasn't punished and that... Uh, the Mandalorians sold him, sold him to the New Republic instead anyway. So it could be that. Or option three, building, working an alternative to that. It's another of the many diverse groups of Mandalorians that we've heard about before who have all the reasons to hate Moff Gideon and have gone after him separately, attacking the New Republic and causing tensions in that regard. Couldn't Thrawn, though, just by controlling the Imperial forces in the Outer Rim and Mandalore has been, I mean... Pacified. Uh, pacified, but also, like... Could be, could have been, like, the, the Empire in essence controlled it. I mean, there wasn't much to control, but they in essence controlled it. Couldn't sure. he, couldn't he have access to enough Beskar? There were left tra- trace elements of Beskar on there. So there's kind of like an option for it that it was just a straightforward extraction from Thrawn. He wasn't really setting anything up. He just uses Beskar in his operations now. Which could be his way of actually taking out the Mandalorians when the time comes if he's actually making Beskar weapons that can go through their armor. Exactly. Lightsaber fights lightsaber type thing. I don't know. There are a lot of options, but I think that what we did learn is that Moff Gideon, in fact, never made it to trial and that probably Moff Gideon is somewhere with Thrawn right now. And our guy, Mr. Kim, at, at minimum is aware that Moff Gideon did not make it to his trial. And, and I think that part is important because he has shown – That'll make news. I think he's going to make it make news. I think he's going to tell yeah. people. Like, I think he's going to be out there, like, with a bullhorn telling people, hey, we fucked this up. Moff Gideon's somewhere out there. He's probably in the Outer Rim still. Like, why don't we go try to find him type thing? Mm-hmm. There right. you go. It's, it's interesting, too, because his superiors are either too incompetent to know this already or have buried the news, which is even worse. All right. There you go. That's the end of the recap. Want to do the best line of the episode? Damn straight, man. Do you have any nominees? I have a few. Uh, let's see here. Early, early one of the episode coming from Mr. Kim. Really? Because I'm hearing Moff Gideon never made it to trial. Ooh. That is an early line that just tells us, oh, shit. 
okay, we've been pondering that, but that may have already happened off camera. Jesus Christ, what's going and on? And we know how this show is written. They don't have enough time for a misdirect. They're not going to give you that line unless mm-hmm. Moff Gideon really didn't make it to trial. Right. So them saying that, it's like, oh, shit, their moves are already happening. Although I will say, Giancarlo Esposito, great actor, like him, best chicken shop in all of New Mexico. I don't think he really understands how these fantasy shows work because he was like a year ago. He was out there like, yeah, I filmed some scenes for Mando, Mando, Lorian, and I was, I was happy to be back. I'm glad they brought me back and I should be in about five episodes of the show. Like, dude, yeah, he, he was supposed to, to keep that secret, but he was excited to tell everybody he was back on Star Wars. Can't blame him. It's a, I'm sure it's an awesome gig. Uh, I've got apparently you don't even have to be on set. Apparently you could just be fucking, you could have somebody <laughs> else play your role. I, it, it's fair. It's one of the things where like, James was drawing the comparison between James Earl Jones, where he was just voicing Darth Vader rather than actually playing the role. I think Robert Proust, I think, was doing, doing the role, uh, the physical part of the role. But they never advertised it that it was James Earl Jones in the There scene. you go. Exactly. Um, let's see. Here's another one for me. Uh, this is the back and forth between Mr. Kim and the Imperial Covert Agent and his incompetent, their incompetent superior. Perhaps the leaders of Navarro need to understand why becoming a public signatory is valuable by by letting them suffer. Sounds like a rather imperial way of thinking. Captain, you're out of line. Oh, and then the officer, it's fine. I'm used to that kind of talk. But from experience, it often takes a new perspective before one is able to see the light. Ugh. Your sort didn't see the light. You were captured. No, I was liberated. As you said, that's an effective scene we get there, and it shows, it gives us all the information we need to know about the level of infiltration that is currently going on in the Republic apparatus. Uh, shall I keep going through it? Yeah, so tell yours because I, I really only have the, the winner this week. Okay. Uh, this, Mr. Kim, there's something dangerous happening out there. All these events, it's not a coincidence. And by the time it becomes big enough for you to act, it'll be too late. Um, That's honorable mention, by the way. Uh, pauses, pauses entire speech. I, mean, I can repeat it, but it, it's, a, it's a hell of a well-done speech uh, when he rallies the crowd to support them because this is – uh, because we are Mandalorians, this is the way in terms of getting them all to rally behind the banner. It's it's well done, it's well sold. And it, as you said, it's a the character's never been a straight heel, but he's been an antagonist of sorts, or at least somewhat hostile to Mando. This is just straight moving him into the, the face camp of where no, now he's now he's ride or die on your side. For sure. Uh, Let's see. Uh, from the armor, it was large and ornate, and the air rang with the music of a thousand hammers. And here stood a simple one, yet they were both forges. They served the same purpose. Uh, following up, I was taught that the Mythosaur existed only in legend, and yet you saw it. It is the sign that the new age is upon next age is upon us. Mandalore must come together. You have walked both worlds. You are the one who can unite us. Um, and then the final, it was, it's a fragment of Beskar alloy. Wait, are you saying that Moff Gideon was taken by dot, dot, dot? Mandalorians? Episode in. It's an effective moment to show what's going to be a tension going forward as the New Republic processes the four options we've laid out. Because I tend to believe that Grand Admiral Thrawn took all the best car he could from Mandalore, and he's been using it. I would. It. And that's that's why there's trace elements of Mando uh, of, of Beskar on the ship where they've done the, the personal extraction. I don't know. Who, well, th- there are a lot of options there. They left a sort of poo-poo platter of um, universes for us to consider going into the next episode. I do think we're going to get Moff Gideon next episode. I don't know if we'll get Thrawn. I, I, I've been thinking we're going to get Thrawn not. this season. 
But I could see them saving it for the Ahsoka series. That might be a good or, reveal for the Ahsoka series. Or the end of the season. Like, very bitter end would be an effective moment for him to Yeah, know, what they'll probably, they'll probably do is they'll probably put Thrawn in the post-credit scene in the finale that I don't watch, and then we get on the podcast yeah. and we start talking about it. Oh, my God, like I've did seen you see him? Did you see him? Yeah, real cool. <laughs> <laughs> that totally happened in season two. I did not see the Boba Fett post-credit scene, and we got on the pod and started talking. I had to pretend like I did. Okay, right, here's my my winner for best line of the episode. It is kind of selfish here this week. Bo-Katan Kreese is going off to bring other Mandalorians in XL to us so that we may join together once again. Bo-Katan walks both worlds and she can bring all tribes together. It's time to retake Mandalore. I think that's where the season's going. Mm-hmm. The immediate episodes are going. I also really love Bo-Katan, so I like that she's getting... You know, there's a lot of talk that Bo-Katan and Mando might be at odds this season, that they'd be fighting over control of the Darksaber and of Mandalore, and maybe some element of that will still happen, but it's clear they've got Bo really heavily in the babyface camp here, and I, I like that because I've always liked the character a lot. Also, the problem with that theory is Mando don't want it. Mando is perfectly content to be somebody else's number Bo. two in this story. He likes Bo! Yeah. Hey, I, how do you feel about this? I was reading more than a few people that are shipping the two of them online. How do you feel yeah. about the ship? I don't think it's shipping at this point. I think it's done. I think it's a done deal. The, the two of them are going to be romantic? Yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, I think that, like, what they've done is they've actually done the best possible way to start a romantic relationship, which is to be friends first. Like, sure. And that's, like, the best, like, that's the best timeline. Like, they become friends first. They trust each other. They look at them. Look at how they fought together this episode. Like they they clearly click, and then I think it'll it'll transfer into romance. So they got a really good base, good solid foundation for it. And I think that when they do transfer to a romantic relationship, it'll be something that sticks. Bo and Mando will probably just stay together for the rest we'll of the see, series. We'll, we'll see if they can get Pedro Pascal to come back for his own sex scene. Well, I'll tell you this: they can get Katie Sackhoff. She loves being on Star Wars, and she's she's available, she, and she's really good. So I I think we're going to get a lot more Bo-Katan, which I appreciate. Let's go to nostalgic moment of the episode. What's your nostalgic moment? I got two. Uh, one, I actually really like R five D four. I've enjoyed him ever since. Snitch. New I I enjoy his I enjoy having him in here. It's fun that he's actually playing a, an actual significant role in this season. So it's fun to see him again. But my main nostalgic moment of the episode. We in I something I loved about Star Wars from the get go was the ships. The ships from the original films captured my heart, and my imagination immediately. And so seeing Star Wars ships and their distinct styles always just tickles me from a nostalgia standpoint. And so the fact that in this episode we get to see something I haven't seen in a while, a proper Y Wing flying into uh the New Republic um Adolphi uh, Rangers base, and then later you get to see a blown up Lambda shuttle, both ships straight out of the original movies. I was just smile, smile appearing on my face just to see him fly by. We got to see Mr. King's X-Wing, too. Oh, yeah, of course. The X-Wings, they've consistently shown. Like, in, in the new films, the, it was like the only ship the Rebels had was an X-Wing. It's the only thing they were willing to show. That's fair. We've only seen it a couple times in the Mandalorian series, but we have seen it before in the Mandalorian series. Uh, mine, mine are two... Um, the first is the seeing the Anzellans, uh, nostalgic from the sequel movies. And then also the early on in the episode, the so-and-so shot first reference, uh, mm-hmm. the shot first reference to the argument with Greedo. That was pretty clear. Yeah. So I like that. Those are my nostalgic moments. All right. So this is your mid season check-in Spencer. We're not going to get you again until the finale. What do you want to see the rest of the season? So that when you get on for the finale, you get on happy, positive, 
bright-eyed and you're telling me Star Wars is back. I want this to be like the Empire Strikes Back season of the show, or even just the season of the overarching Disney Star Wars TV mythos, of where this is the chance to introduce Thrawn. This is the chance for Thrawn to swoop in and start wrecking shop with the product of his brilliance. This is the show where they get to set that up. This is the show where they get to get that initial trigger pull. I want to see them head in that direction of not only retaking Mandalore, but also continuing to build up that the New Republic does not realize how screwed it is. It's gotten complacent. It's seemingly mothballed the majority of its fleet from what we're hearing about in this episode and last episode. So I want to, I want the show to set up not only the own arc of taking Mandalore, I want Mando to have his own arc in there rather than just be passive to other people too. But I also want it to be a proper setup to the proper Legends Thrawn that you and I both know and love. This is this is the show where that can happen. This is the show where it's going to set up for more focus later in other shows. But this is the moment that people who have never heard of Thrawn are going to remember. And so I want them to be able to sell and land that well. Well, the cool part is that the proper Legends Thrawn that you remember is always new, there. Is new canon Thrawn. Like, it's the same character. So, like, they didn't... Disneyfy, Thrawn, they didn't make mm-hmm. him any, I mean, he's still, he's still so fucking wire, wiry and difficult to nail down that even, even in the book, in the book series, there's multiple scenes where Palpatine's talking to somebody else going, well, I think he's going to do X, Y, Z, but I don't have any fucking clue. Like even Palpatine struggles with him. Yeah. Hey, Vader hates him. Um, Tarkin hates him because he's so slick and he's so good. Um, he, he really talks down to Vader in the books. It's, it's fun to watch. It's, he's the only person I've seen that really mar like treat, you know, we've talked about on this podcast before how militarily Vader doesn't have a lot of direct reports. He doesn't really have much control of the military. He's sort of like mm-hmm. this, this guy who is a, like a, a friend of the emperor, but not necessarily that involved with running the empire. And Thrawn calls it out all the time. He's like, oh, that, that yeah. asshole using, who's with that whack job religion? Fuck him. Like he doesn't, he doesn't give a fuck. So he's, he's a tough motherfucker in the books. He's, he reminds me very much of the old legend canon for Thrawn. And I think it'll be a lot of fun to see him. But to your point, I hope they don't, I don't hope we don't get him next episode and get him overexposed. No, no. I hope no, it's no. a very brief thing that really gets us excited for the Ahsoka series in season four of Mandalorian. I want to see the effect of his actions and his plans more than I want to see the man. And it would make sense that if we actually see him, his person, it might be in the Ahsoka series, considering we've established in season two of Mandalorian that like Ahsoka's like reason for existing right now is chasing that motherfucker. And, you know, Ahsoka's pretty capable. She will find him. Um, so it's that that would be a fun reveal for that show to give that show some real significance within the story. Uh, thanks for joining, Spencer. Thank you for joining, Jamie. As always, a lot of fun to review Mandalorian. We are now officially half, more than halfway through the season. Spencer will be back at the end of the season. Jamie and I will be back reviewing next week here on Magnum Talk Star Wars. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hope you have a great week.